0: you're about to listen to the icgc worldwide podcast our mission is to raise global leaders shape vision and influence society with the principles of christ for more information or empowering content follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at icgc worldwide and now for today's message believe that God is raising our understanding to a level where we will not be ignorant victims of what happens around us, but we will be controllers of God's purposes for our lives. I'm going to start my teaching from Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 15. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 15 and it's just a short verse and it says the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The rich man's wealth or the rich woman's wealth is their strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Wealth is defined as an abundance of valuable possessions and resources. An abundance of valuable possessions and resources. Wealth is seen in having marketable assets such as real estate, stocks, bonds, and so on. It's not necessarily in having consumer items like TVs, cars, swimming pools, shoes, and clothes, um, because these cannot immediately be converted to cash. But for a person to have wealth, they have to have possessions that can easily be converted to cash. In a larger sense, we can say that wealth includes health, your well-being, uh, having peace of mind, a good marriage, and so on. These are all wealth. But for the purposes of my teaching, I am not focusing on that kind of wealth. I am talking about real assets of wealth. Now, in the passage, we are told that wealth defends the rich. Wealth defends the rich. The rich Man's wealth is his strong city. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says that money is a defense. Those who have money use it to defend what they have. It secures them power and position. And wealth is a very powerful factor in the corridors of power. It's almost impossible to find the poor in the corridors of power. Poverty is defined as a lack of material resources or money. And uh, poverty can be absolute or can be relative. And when we say absolute pro- poverty, it means that you have nothing. Nothing. You cannot meet the necessities of life. You cannot pay for your shelter. You cannot clothe yourself. You cannot feed yourself. You are basically at the mercy of somebody else. That's absolute poverty. Uh, In most parts of Africa, we have absolute poverty. Uh, But well, poverty can also be relative. And when we say relative, it, it means that, well, you are able to meet the basic necessities of life, but it could be better. Uh, somebody else may have a little bit better than you, but it doesn't mean that you can't take care of yourself. So sometimes poverty is relative. For example, a person who is below the poverty line in the United States and lives on welfare will be considered rich in Ghana. Um, Minimum salary in some parts of the world, which is now, I think, about seven or so dollars per hour uh, and, and computed into eight hours uh, a day, that would be 40, Mr. Blankson. That's what? Eight times seven. Fifty. Fifty-six. You can't trust me with mathematics. I should have calculated that before I came to church. Now, $56 is minimum wage a day. In Ghana, it can be the month salary for a lot of people. So... When we say poverty is relative, that's what we mean. A, an extremely poor person in one country can be middle class in another country. However, poverty, no matter whether it's absolute or, poverty or relative, is no good. Within the context where it happens. The poor is poor where they are. So, the passage says, poverty destroys the poor. It exposes people, institutions, and nations to destructive forces. It makes people vulnerable and weak. It weakens their standing in life. And it makes them captive to the agenda of the poor. The wealthy are few. The poor are in multitudes. 65 of the richest people in the world, just 65, 65, own half of the wealth of the world, the rest of us. 65 people. If you go to Forbes list of the richest people in the world, you count number one to number 65. They own half of what the poor own. So it means that in in real terms, 65 people and more than 7.5 billion people. That's not good. So that means that the wealth is in a few hands and poverty is in many hands. Wealth sets the agenda and poverty fulfills the agenda. There are people whose money determines who should govern a nation. But they need those without money to ensure that the agenda comes to pass. And their principle is very simple. Keep the poor from the big money and use little money to buy their commitment. There are people whose money finances research, but they need those without money to believe in the research. Recently, I just read that they said that the the skin of chicken is now edible. We cannot eat it. When I was growing up as a child, we ate the skin of chicken. It was a delicacy. Then the scientists came and said, it's no good. It contains all kinds of cholesterol, and when you eat it, you have all these problems. So we stopped eating it. Just two weeks ago, they said, it's good. <laughs> now, so you, when you see these things happen, you ask, who is making the research, and what is the agenda? Because it's not just knowledge being passed along. Somebody needs to sell something. And he's going to find a compliant professor to give him the research to support what he has. Coffee is not good. Coffee is good. Egg is not good. Egg is good. So there are those who finance research so that the poor Can believe in the research. There are those whose money determines what we should all believe, but they need those without money to fight for those ideas. Wealth declares war; poverty fights the war. So, in the corridors of power, the rich need the poor. Because they don't have the numbers. They have the money. They don't have the numbers. And they have to keep the poor in a position where they are usable. Much of Africa exists just to fulfill other people's agenda. Because we are very poor. The first European explorers came here with their agenda. And we fulfilled that agenda. Then the Americans came here with an agenda and will fulfill the agenda. Then the Russians came here with an agenda and will fulfill the agenda. Then the Chinese came here with an agenda and will fulfill the agenda. That's why you wonder why, in a nation like Ghana, we can allow people to rape our land for gold, pollute all our rivers and our water bodies, destroy it, but government does not speak there is a correlation between agenda of the wealthy and the people who fulfill the agenda and until the poor wake up they will always be there for the fulfillment of the agenda of the wealthy once in a while the poor realize the agenda of the wealthy and rebel against it and it happened in world history But most of the time, the poor, in addition to being poor, also are ignorant. So when I started this series, I spoke about the pillars that hold our society. I spoke about seven pillars, the family, the culture, education, media, science, business, and government. And those who control the pillars of society also have a lot of money. A lot of money. I, I am yet, I mean, once in a while you find somebody who is not wealthy, who is also powerful, like Mother Teresa. But, you know, it's a very benign power. Uh, or Martin Luther King uh, and, and people like that. But usually, those who have power also have money. Those who have no power have no money. So, it's in somebody's interest. To keep the poor poor. Money is very powerful. It led Delilah to deceive Daniel. Uh, 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 Samson, sorry. It led Judas to betray Jesus. The devil couldn't get to Jesus. But money got to him. It led the chief priest to pay a bribe to change the story of the resurrection from what was historically accurate to what the soldiers who saw the historical accuracy came to declare. They said his disciples stole his body. And that is still believed up to today. Money is very powerful. Very powerful. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13 to 17. It's a very interesting observation by the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Very interesting observation. And this is what he says, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun. And it seemed great to me. That word great means it was shocking to me. Verse 14. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. I like the boldness of the writers of Proverbs and uh, Ecclesiastes. Very, very bold. The ruler of fools. Interesting. So, there is an observation and, and it talks about a poor, wise man. This is one instance where a poor man is not ignorant, but is wise. A poor, wise man. A poor, wise man in a city. That word wise means skillful, clever, and experienced. So, a man who is skillful, clever, and experienced, but poor. A nation comes against his village or his city. The Bible says a great king, or the passage of the great king, comes against his city. And he, by his wisdom delivers the city. So, this poor wise man is a deliverer. He uses skill, experience, and cleverness to deliver his city. Now, we're not told how he delivered them. Probably, he delivered the city through negotiation, used wisdom to go and negotiate for a truce, or probably he gave them a strategy to counteract the strength of the opponent. Whichever method he used, he had the skill, the cleverness, and the experience to deliver a city. Now, normally, if somebody is able to do that, he is skillful, he is clever, he is experienced, there is a crisis, there is trouble, There is danger, and this person goes out and solves the problem. He should be a hero. He should be a hero. I mean, he should be on the front pages of the newspaper. He should be in the news. Mothers should be naming their children after him. People should be paying him. They should be rewarding him because he's a deliverer. He has the answers. But there is a little problem with this particular deliverer. He's poor. So he has the answers. He delivers. But the Bible says he is not remembered. That means that he is ignored and abandoned. He's used and dumped. He's invited to the corridors of power to solve a problem. Or offer help based on his skill and experience. Then afterwards, he's dumped. There are many people in, the, in this category. Those who live in the corridors of power know how to tap into people's skill. But make sure that those people never come to that corridor. So this is what has happened to this man. When they needed him, they used his skill, his influence, his ability. And then... They dumped him. They didn't remember him. Forgotten. One day, everybody's listening to his wisdom. The next day, who knows about him? Not only is he not remembered, the Bible says he is despised. He's taken for granted. He's given no value. People listen to his wisdom, but they do not place value value on it. They don't add money to the value. They will not empower him to also become powerful. They keep him at a level where he will always respond to the calls of the powerful. He's despised. Although he's a deliverer. And then the third thing the passage says about him is that his words are not heard. His words are not heard. He's not treated fairly. Now, you, you may ask, but, but his words were heard. Now, his wisdom was heard, but his words were not heard. Now, how could your wisdom be heard and your words not be heard? So, this is how I think happened. After he had given the wisdom and the powerful people have implemented his idea and it has succeeded, he now starts pleading for recognition. He's asking for acceptance. He's now saying, you know, pay me something, give me some money, you know, share some of the wealth you have with me. Uh, Let me also come to the corridors of power. And they don't hear those words. They want his wisdom, but they ignore his words. It is a tragedy to be poor in this world. And more so when you are wise and poor. When you are skillful and poor, creative and poor, knowledgeable and poor, educated and poor. Because you will be used and your voice will not be heard. So he makes appeal for better treatment, but he is not listened to. The question is, how could such a man who is so skillful to solve national problems be poor? Now, if he could solve that problem, why can't he solve his problem? I'm not that man, and I I don't him directly. But the only way I can conjecture that a person who is smart enough to solve a national problem... Cannot solve his personal problem if somebody has told him that he must be poor. Somebody has convinced him that poverty is his proper place. That he shouldn't seek for material wealth. It is no good. Somebody has convinced him that although he's smart, poverty gives him prestige. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that the people who have power and wealth make sure that although he has all the answers, they would never give him access to where the money is. So they have oppressed him in his wisdom. A poor, wise man. The world is full Of poor wise men. The verse 17 says The words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. The words of the wise must be heard. If you believe that God has given you wisdom, you must create the opportunity for your voice to be heard. If you believe that God has given you ideas, you must create the opportunity for the voice you have to be heard. Because if you want somebody else to give you a voice, they would not give you the voice. You must create the opportunity to give your ideas a voice. Now Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10 verse 27, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the house stops. Jesus is saying the words of the wise must be heard. Or the words of the righteous must be heard. There are many today who want to silence the voice of righteousness. In the corridors of power. They want to make sure that the deliverers don't speak. If you go to the western world, Europe and America... You find, historically, the knowledge of the West was built on the church. The church is the foundation of knowledge of Western society. The teachings of Christ lay the foundations of their society. Yet, in those same countries today, Jesus Christ has been reduced to a curse word. All the major universities in those countries were set up either by churches or by clergymen. But yet today in those church same universities, the church has no voice. Christianity is persecuted and the voice of righteousness is relegated. Because somewhere along the line, they convince the church to be poor. The voice of the wise must be heard. Jesus says, whatever I tell you in secret, shout it on the housetop. Jesus is saying his disciples must not speak in quiet places in secret. They must speak at the highest points of the world. But there are people who are pushing the voice. Of the church to the back. So how do we make our voice heard? We must announce the message that we have been giving. We must never stop to make Christ known to the world. We must never yield to the threats and sanctions of those who want to stop the preaching of the gospel. We must be like Peter and John who answered the chief priests of their day. We must obey God rather than men. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation and it must be announced in the corridors of power. Not only must we announce it, we must finance it. We must never stop spending money on the preaching of the gospel. We must finance the translation of the Bible. Into all languages. We must finance the printing of Bibles. We must finance missionary activities. We must finance church planting. We must finance training of pastors. We must finance the gospel in the media. We must finance the church outreaches. We must finance the building of church buildings. We must let the words of the wise be heard. Because if we don't. We will be like the poor wise man. Who is called to for a time of deliverance. But afterwards, nobody will listen to them. In the United States, after 9-11, everybody went to church. They were all going to church. Churches were full. Because when people are in trouble, they go to church. When the trouble passes, they want the church to, church to shut up. They want us to pray for those in power, but never to speak to those in power. So when governments need you, you come to do the opening prayer or pray for a president. When he goes wrong, you're supposed to keep quiet. When it's election time, they'll come to our church. and speak and after they are in power we're not supposed to speak back because the poor wise man is only needed for emergencies but his voice must not be heard afterwards he must pray for government pray for those in power but never, never criticize them. If you want my prayer, you'll get my criticism. We must announce it. We must finance it. And we must reinforce our message. We must reinforce our message. We must never stop pushing for the good news of Christ to be entrenched. We must seek a society that encourages righteousness and justice. We must make sure that the people of our churches live in a world that allows them to practice their faith. I believe that God has called us not to be poor wise men, But to be rich, wise men, whose voices must be heard. Whose voices must be heard. Why is it so? I believe it's so because there is a satanic agenda in this world. I believe that there is a satanic agenda to make sure that the righteous and the biblically wise do not get into the corridors of power. We see that agenda set out in the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 7. 5 to 7, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the, of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. So, there is a satanic agenda to control the power systems of this world. And since there are more unbelievers than believers, that agenda has entrenched feet. It's a threefold agenda. The first part of the agenda is to get the righteous to believe that wealth is wrong for them. Wealth is wrong. The church spends a lot of time debating this one. Should a Christian be rich? Should he not be rich? Should a church be rich? Should we talk about money? Should we not talk about money? We sabotage ourselves. When we make money, the world fights us and makes us feel guilty. Everybody or institution makes money and celebrates it, but when the church makes money, it gets criticized. We ourselves are not confident. How are you going to get something you are not sure you should get? How are you going to get something You don't believe you should have. A double minded person, the Bible says, cannot receive anything from God. But you go to, uh, listen to most churches, there's a big debate. Should we have money, should we not have money? Will we backslide when we make money? It's been a long debate. So the righteous is not sure about wealth. The second agenda is to keep the righteous out of the money circles. Money flows in circles, my friends. And the people in those circles like to play the game among themselves. And if you try to enter that circle, you're going to face battles. If you're a small business, you start, on your front porch, your business. You have no enemies. With very little money or no money, you can start a business and grow. But when your business grows and gains attention, you would understand that there are people who have problem with you making money. The battles you fight are not at the beginning. They are the battles you fight when you are starting emerging and especially when you start going very high. And all those battles are based on the fact that you are entering a corridor that is not designed for you. And people are going to criticize you and fight you. When a footballer signs a $100 million contract, the world hails it. When a boxer makes over $1 million in one bout, we say he's smart. When a young man makes billions with an app, the world hails it. When a church invests money into its work, the world criticizes it. The only institution that is criticized on this planet for making money is the church. Oh, yeah. People are going to ask, what, what, we have poor people in the church. Why are you spending the money for that? Why are you spending for money to build a building? Uh, would the building uh, save, save souls? Well, uh, that, that's it. They're going to ask all those questions. Well, would the footballer's money also solve poverty? And the poor people in his country? And the poor people in his city? And the poor people where they live too. And by the way, the money the poor, the footballer gets, where does he get it from? Those who go to watch, they pay. The boxer's fees comes from those who watch. The rich man's money, the app, from those who download the app. Do they have poor people? I bet you do, but nobody's going to say anything about that. But let the church build a massive building. Where did they get the money from? <laughs> let them hear that a church has a television station. Where did they get the money from? Why don't they not using the money for the poor, the widows? We always assume widows are poor. The widows. <laughs> I think you widows have to fight against that labor. Where are they? The widows. Jesus was asked the same question when wealth was poured on him at his feet. Same question. This money could have been given to the poor. And Jesus says, I know. The poor are always around. Jesus was an economist. He knew that. says, <laughs> they will be here. After I'm gone, they'll here. <laughs> they were here before I came. They are here while I'm here. I've gone. I'm gone. They are still here. The church must be sensitive to the needs of society. But it must not allow its message to be hindered by people who have determined to deny it power. The third agenda is that the money game is played with rules that do not favor the righteous. One of the challenges of every Christian as you grow higher is that you you deal with conflict. At the higher levels, the believer has to play the money game with rules that were designed to favor the unrighteous. And we need a lot of wisdom like Daniel to navigate that path. We have to know how to play the game without compromising our faith. And sometimes it's a very, very thin line as we saw in Daniel. But the believer must always keep his covenant with God. It's a hazardous world out there. In the corridors of power, it's very hazardous because it is not designed for righteousness. So one of the challenges for every believer is how do I penetrate this world without undermining my faith? We need extreme wisdom in doing that. But that does not mean you keep away and say, well, you know, when you get there, it's a dirty world. Well, the dirty people are dirty in all of us. Now, when you read read through the Bible, you realize throughout the Bible, God had no problem giving wealth to his people. Abraham acquired great wealth in Genesis chapter 13, 1 to 1 and 2. Isaac was prosperous in a foreign land, Genesis 26, 12 to 14. Jacob prospered under a very wicked and stingy boss, Genesis 30, 41 to 43. Israel as a nation at the time of its deliverance from Egypt received wealth transfer, Exodus 12, 35 to 36. David, the man after God's own heart, gained enormous wealth through conquest, 1 Chronicles 29, 1 to 5. Solomon managed enormous wealth, 2 Chronicles 1, 14 to 17 but the picture takes a dramatic change when you come to Jesus Jesus was poor without worldly goods Matthew 8:20 Jesus said foxes have holes the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head It seems a change in the narrative every one of those heroes Wealth, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, David, Solomon, then Jesus, Paul. Now, there are those who have argued that Jesus was rich. I don't think there is a biblical proof for that. Jesus was not a wealthy man, Jesus was a poor man. Uh, Just lived among the poor, served among the poor. When he had problems with paying his taxes, he didn't have money in his pocket, he had to go and get a fish to produce the money. When he had people to feed, didn't have money to feed them, had to create a miracle. So he wasn't financially a wealthy person. The people of Jesus' time didn't see him as a wealthy person. So Jesus boxed the trend from Abraham down. Jesus bucks it because he's poor. The question is why? Why was Jesus not rich? Why was Jesus not wealthy? Why did Jesus not come with silver and gold? Why did he live a poor life? Well, the Bible explains why he lived a poor life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is debating, talking about money and giving and receiving and wealth. And then he gets to verse 9 and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. Jesus did not become poor for the church to imitate or emulate his poverty. He became poor so that we through his poverty might be rich. Jesus envisioned his followers, his church as a rich church. And the price he paid for that was personal poverty. So you cannot tell me, well, Jesus was poor, so live a poor life. It's almost like saying, Jesus died on the cross, so go and die on the cross. He died on the cross, so I might live. He took my sickness, so I might be healed. He took my poverty, so I might be rich. So for anyone who says, well, you know, be careful about money, Jesus says, I pay the price. As a matter of fact, if you don't become wealthy, you are disgracing me. For my sake, he became poor that I, through his poverty, the church, through his poverty, might be made rich. The church is not supposed to be a gathering of poor, wise men and women, but a gathering of rich wise men and women the church is not there to fulfill the agenda of the wealthy the church is there to set the agenda we are the light of the world we are the city set on a hill we are the salt of the earth none of it talks about following each one talks about setting the agenda But the power systems in this world, using the media, using all kinds of forces, would put all their light on the church and leave everybody else. Why do they do that? Why don't they put their light on other people? I mean, why don't they do that? Because they know the deliverer is the church. The deliverer is the church. And yes, let them provide deliverance. Let them pray for the world. Let them pray for world peace. Let them intercede. They would wish we were living in a cave and and wearing loincloth and praying and interceding for the world. And never coming out. They want us to be monks and nuns. In monasteries, living in silent meditation, but never speaking. The day you start speaking, they will attack you. Because they want your wisdom, but they don't want to hear your voice. They want your deliverance, but they don't want to hear your voice. But thank God, we are not ignorant poor people. Thank God. Thank God. Well, let me close with a proverb Jesus gave. It's a very, very unusual proverb. Very unusual. And it's difficult to preach from it because of the nature of the proverb. You'll find out uh, when I read it. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 13. And I'll read it and I'll talk about three important lessons to learn from that proverb. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So the man is about to be fired. Verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill. Sit down. Write quickly. 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill. Write 80. So, The master commended the unjust steward because he has dealt shrewdly. The master commended him. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being God. So, I mean, the guy did a terrible thing. If your worker does that to you, you don't go and say, hey, well done. You've cheated me, well done. This servant is told you've been fixing the books, you've been messing the accounts, so you're going to be sacked. That's one, one lesson you must learn. Don't tell people you are going to be sacked. Sack them. <laughs> because if he tells you tell him you're going to be sacked, he has a time frame. That's that's not part of the parable, but just simple advice. Don't say you are going to be sacked. You I will sack you. Don't warn people. Let them go. So so the guy says, You I'm going to sack you. Well, but he didn't sack him, gave him some time. So this guy goes, tells, asks somebody, how much do you owe the master? He said, hundred. Uh, measures of oil says, no, write 80 write 50 how much you owe 50 uh, 100 uh, bags of wheat Right 80 and the master comes and says you are smart now so what is Jesus teaching here uh, for you to get what he's teaching he's not recommending crooked and dishonest behavior because the, the key phrase is In verse 8, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So, Jesus is saying, look at what a bad person would do. Look look at how he thinks. Look, look at how crooked his thinking. He, he's so crooked, but look at how crooked his thinking is. But the people who are righteous, they don't think. Basically, that's what he's saying. He, they don't think. So, there are... Three lessons we want to learn from a bad example. I call it learning a good example, a good lesson from a bad example. What are the lessons we get from this passage? The first lesson, use every opportunity to advance God's kingdom. Use every opportunity to advance God's kingdom. Because you see, the man was told, you're not going to be here forever. You're going to be fired. And he says, if I'm going to be fired, then I must prepare for where I'm going to. Jesus is saying, in the same way, the children of light, you know that you don't live here forever. Use every opportunity wisely. Use every opportunity wisely. Use every opportunity to advance God's kingdom. That's the first lesson. Second lesson. Use your position to win people to Christ. Use your position to win people to Christ. What did the guy do? He says, I cannot dig. I cannot beg. I have to make contacts. I have to make friends so that when I leave this job, they will receive me. That's what the world does. Jesus is saying this is what the righteous should do. Use your position to win people for Christ. Why are you... In that position? Why are you in that powerful position? Why are you the MD? Why are you the head of finance? Why why do you have these opportunities? Why has God given you all these resources? It is for the advancement of His kingdom. If we have that understanding, we see every promotion as a divine assignment, every open door is a divine assignment, every asset we own is for divine purposes. The world thinks this way. He says the children of light should think like that when it comes to the things of the kingdom. Third lesson, use earthly treasure to gain heavenly treasure. Use earthly treasure to gain heavenly treasure. He used the treasure of his master To gain for himself treasure outside when he leaves the master's kingdom. Use earthly treasure to gain heavenly treasure. When God brings you to the corridors of power, when God gives you money and you become a power player, you have to follow what Jesus recommends use every opportunity to advance God's kingdom, use your position to win people to Christ, use your earthly treasure to gain heavenly uh, treasure. The righteous must not become victims in the power play of the world. The righteous must not be ignorant following the wrong agendas of the world. When you hear the media pushing something very strongly, Pause because they are leading you somewhere. When you watch the media, Western media, pushing an agenda, they are leading you somewhere. Don't sit passively and think, oh, all these things they are doing for my good they're not doing it for your good when you hear people talking about something researchers are talking about it media is talking about it big people are talking about it politicians are talking about it financiers are financing it find out where is it going they are setting an agenda for you and if you are not careful you will be the poor who go to fight when the war is declared you be the poor who follow after the agenda has been set but we as children of God as children of life must not be poor wise men we are going to be rich wise and powerful somebody say I'll be rich wise and powerful say one more time I'll be rich wise and powerful thank you for listening to ICGC Worldwide Podcast for more information or content about our church you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at ICGC Worldwide